Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Monday, August 31st edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Brought to you by Penn Medicine. As always, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Flyers come off a Game 4 loss, now down in the series, three games to one. They are on the brink of elimination. They will play for their playoff lives in a Game 5 coming up on Tuesday night at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. And if needed, Thursday and, God willing, on Saturday as well uh, for a Game 7. But you have to take care of Tuesday before you get to Thursday, before you get to Saturday. Flyers go down in the game 3-2. to two. It was the game of uh, some defensive lapses that cost the Flyers. Brian Elliott did get the start for the Flyers, performed very well in the game, including a nine-save penalty kill in the first period. And he sustained and made 18 saves in that first period as well to keep it scoreless. Turnover ultimately in the second period by Phil Myers uh, at the blue line. Just didn't get enough under a puck. He tried to air out of the zone, and all the forwards had flown the zone uh, with Phil not really having any pressure on him. That finds the back of the net in behind Brian Elliott. Open the scoring uh, 1-0 in favor of the Islanders. Flyers did get it tied uh, with about 15 minutes and change into that second period uh, on a Sean Couturier goal, a redirect, and a really good goal after the Flyers had completely dominated that period. They end up out shooting the Islanders in the period, probably their best period since heading to the bubble. They outshot the Islanders in the period 17-3, to but only came up with the one goal and were only able to tie that game. Uh, they headed to the third, had a couple good, good scoring chances, and goals scored on them right after those scoring chances. The first one on the goal by uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, the breakaway goal at the other end prior to that, just prior to that, Flyers... Couturier had a good scoring chance, and then a diving Drew had a great scoring chance, and the goaltender Thomas Grice made a save on that one, went the other way. Pajot scores. They take the 2-1 lead. Then later in that period, after Travis connecting, he's got a tremendous scoring chance, and Grice makes another great save. It goes the other way on a two-on-one and ends up in the back of their net as well. And the Flyers ultimately only able to, to manage two goals in this game. They get their second on a six-on-four or six-on-five situation with the goaltender pulled in a minute and change left, but that's as close as they would get to the New York Islanders. 3-2 is the final, 3-1 now in the series. And again, they'll play for their playoff lives coming up on Tuesday, and we'll see if they can have uh, some pushback and extend this series against an Islander team that knows right now there's blood in the water and there's an opportunity to end this series and get it over with and move on to a conference final. It will be their first conference final since 1987, coincidentally, when they played the Flyers in 1987, 33 years ago. It's the last time these two teams have tangled in the playoffs. When you look at the game overall, the Flyers had you know, spurts in this game where they performed extremely well. And so did the Islanders. That's playoff hockey. It's about momentum, maintaining the momentum when it's taken from you, getting it back. And this game was back and forth. It was an entertaining hockey game, albeit frustrating with the way the, the goals broke down uh, for the Flyers, and especially that third period with a tied hockey game to come out with a loss. When that's The message there in between the, the second and third period from the coaching staff is really simple. Guys, let's really break this down to what it is, shift by shift, and let's just go out and win a period of a game. Because if we go out in this game and win the period, we tie the series at two, we make it a best of three. They were unable to do that, and now their backs are against the wall. Let's go to my conversation right now. 
postgame with Chris Tarian. Joining us right now, in the, after a very disappointing loss in game four, the Flyers down three games to one, is former Flyer defenseman and current analyst Chris Tarian. Bundy, uh, they're up against it now, and uh, we're going to talk about the mentality of that, but uh, coming away with a loss in this game and, and turnovers and uh, ill-timed pinches and odd man rushes ultimately did them in, isn't it? Yeah, you know it's it's weird, right, Chase? Like what I, I was saying after uh, you know on the post game show, like what a what a strange game this is because you know I don't think the Flyers. This is my own personal quick recap. I don't think they particularly had a great first period. The Islanders had a power play that extended for a lot of time and they had a ton of shots on goal. And then the first four minutes of the second period looked like more of the same. Um, the only difference was the Flyers didn't carry a lead into the uh, to the second period. Uh, for whatever reason, though, Jace, that 16 minutes in and around about where I saw it, I think the Flyers may have played their most physical and best 16-minute or period of the entire bubble in, in a playoff format in that second period. Outshot the Islanders 17-3. to They had a, uh, a 13-0 shot advantage uh, at the time in the second period. Uh, I thought that they, they had um, – the Islanders had uh, gotten the goal. Flyers had gotten the goal back to tie the game. And I really felt like it was an interesting uh, because the third period, I thought the Flyers had a good start again. And Elliott had turned a puck over behind the net. And it felt like for some reason the Flyers lagged after that again. And they got back to the, you know, again, trying to make plays that weren't there, gave the Islanders the momentum back in the hockey game. And it, it was odd. It was just, it's just a, such a strange game. Then they ended up getting a little bit of momentum back too little too late. It, it's weird because the, it's, that was a real roller coaster of a game for me tonight. Uh, and I'm sure it was for you watching it. But, I, again, I've never seen series or, or teams now in these series where the momentum swings one way like a pendulum. And when you have it, you give it back, it's really hard to, to retake it again. Yeah, and it's so pronounced when you don't have it and when you do have it. <laughs> the team that's got it is dominating territorially, as you mentioned in that second yep. period. I mean, after they, they give up the goal, the, the opening goal of the game, and then they go on to dominate the rest of that period. I mean, when you, you played, and when, when your team is buzzing like that in a period, you don't want the period to end. That, that, that didn't help. <laughs> well, right, but every, every period is going to come to an end, and, and you're right. If we yeah. could have extended that another 10 minutes. You know, and, and again, what was really ironic with it was, you know, the Flyers played the second period like the Islanders had uh, the other day, and um, – it's funny because with seven seconds left, that great play by Van Riemsdyk, where I believe Voracek and, and uh, Couturier had uh, rebounds. There were seven seconds. They could have had the 2-1 lead. And, you know, heading into the third period with a lead, the way that, you know, we've seen the Flyers play this year, you know, we might be looking at a different outcome. There's a lot of shoulda, would'ves. I hate saying that in, in that sense because I really do feel like the meat and potato crunch times of this series – the Islanders have raised the bar where the Flyers have not at the critical points and critical junctures of the games. Yeah, it's very well said. Um, Bundy, I'm so glad we ha I'm talking to you because as a guy who played, you know, so many games in the NHL as, as a defenseman, top pairing guy, um, I got to ask you about the top pairing of the Flyers. And in particular, well, really all three goals, because the first goal, let's start there. Now, Phil Myers, it just looks like he doesn't get enough under that puck and turns it over at the blue line. Uh, all the forwards are flying the zone. There's not really any pressure on Myers. I, I don't think I can blame the forwards for that, considering what it looked like on the ice. But, uh, again, these turnovers, and you, when they happen, you're pulling it out of the back of your net, creating a, a high-danger chance, and you got to give the Islanders credit. A great shot and gets the goal and takes the lead. 
Well, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've never been in a position that Phil Myers has been in. I have absolutely turned pucks over. I've been danced one-on-one. All of above. All of, all of above. Uh, that's what defensemen go through in that league. And, you know, mentally being able to stay together with it. The problem Phil made there, and listen, this guy's going to be a real good player. He had a heck of a year. Uh, but he's another guy that will have to understand, like I did, or any other big, tall defenseman that's 6'4", 6'5", you have got to move your feet. You've mm-hmm. got to move your feet in a situation like that. When you make a play standing still, and I learned it. I used to have Dave Brown was my roommate my first year. Of course, this guy was known for having arms that hung to his knees and knocking guys out regularly. But he used to tell me, get your head up, get your feet moving. Get your head up, get your feet moving. Tell me all the time. Eyes up and feet whenever, moving, you're up. <laughs> That's it, and you know what? That doesn't change. And so what Phil did there, that's a rookie mistake. That's a play that you can you, – I would rather him eat that puck uh, than, than make that kind of play because yeah. that's how quick a team like the Islanders can pounce on you and, and, and put it in the back of your net, and then you end up chasing the game from that point. So that's a, a lesson. Those are plays. This is where so, the, the playoffs are so valuable to younger guys. If you're on a team that's maybe not ready to win quite yet, you know, you got to go through some of these growing pains at times. And I'm not saying the series is over. I'm not. I mean, I've seen crazier things happen in pro sports. Uh, but certainly tonight was it was a tough loss for the Flyers. It really was. Because it just looks like a team now. I mean, you've really got to scrape and dig for three games and then have a lot of puck luck involved now if you're going to win this series. Uh, Bundy, let's talk about the third goal. Uh, the second goal is the breakaway one where Paggio gets in behind the defenseman. Yeah. Uh, and he goes in and scores that goal, trickles over the goal line. But let's look at the third goal. Uh, because this is Niskanen gets caught on a pinch. Great play off the board yep. to redirect it with the skate uh, by the Islanders. But it's the two-on-one, and it, and it seemed like maybe did Provorov kind of not real, really figure out what he wanted to accomplish in defending that? Is it take away the pass, take, you know, take away the time and space of the puck carrier? Um, and he failed on two attempts at two different passes uh, to, to yeah. be able to break that up. Great question by you, Jason. And I'll tell you what, what's really interesting with a two-on-one now, I played for coaches that have different theories on how to play a two-on-one, but I will tell you this. If the group is able to make two passes on the two-on-one, the defenseman is usually toast. Yep. Completely toast. So is the goalie. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, you're right. So two, two passes were made. The problem is, is that if you have two guys on a long ice two-on-one where you're immediately, you kind of favor the weak side guy, the guy without the puck, then what happens is you put the you put the decision in the puck carrier's hands. That comes down to knowing who that guy is. Is he more likely to shoot? Is he more likely to pass? You'll have that knowledge in your head. The problem is, is when the first pass was made on the two-on-one, and then Nelson went over, Provorov spun, looked back, the puck went back the other way, it, it, the play's over. The play is over, and it should have stopped after the first pass. you got to make a play on the puck. He went back without making any kind of decision uh, either way. And mm-hmm. that just can't happen. That, that's where that, that ended up being a tap-in, right? They, you know, Nelson on the doorstep with a tap-in, yep. and either Elliott or Provorov really had an inkling of where the puck was. Yeah, and you're right. I, I watched it, and I'm thinking it's just a little indecisive, number one. And then number two, I mean, you're also reading, you know, the puck carrier. What handed is he? What wing is he coming down? Is he in, a, in an advantageous position to shoot, or is he on his off wing? There's all those things that you're reading. But let me ask you, because those two goals in the third period, they both came right after really good, high-quality flyer scoring chances. Konechny was on one of them. Giroux was on the other. So you have a great yep. scoring chance, and Grice makes a save, and he performed really well. 
and then all of a sudden, boom, down at the other end, you're pulling it out of the back of your net. What does that do to a team mentally when you're the one knocking on the door, but ultimately they end up with the goal on two occasions? Yeah, that's a that's a body blow right there, right? Like you're you're feeling pretty good about yourself. You're around it. The bench has energy. Uh, guys are positive. You know, you're really hey, you're around it. You know that you and you also know that you played a, a heck of a, a second period. You're trying to keep that momentum in. Again, I go back to the to the tape, but it usually doesn't align when I'm watching it in real time. Something happened after that Elliott turnover where the Islanders regained momentum. But mm. the Flyers should have been feeling good about themselves. But that's the worst kind of thing when you're going really good feeling good about your team game and uh and the other team goes and scores one on you that's a complete punch to the gut and it sucks yeah it, 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 it you can dictate all it's like overtime in hockey a lot of times in the playoffs you can dominate in overtime one break the other way and it's over it's like oh my goodness you're yeah, kidding absolutely. me right <laughs> at, at, right that's the way it goes right like that's you how many times do we see that right where you're watching a game and you're like man this one team's dominating the other team's gonna win yeah, <laughs> that's just the way it goes sometimes um, let's look at the top line real quick. Um, what, they, I thought they had a bounce-back performance. They thought they played well, uh, the Couturier-Giroux-Voracek line. Ultimately, here's the fact of the matter, Bundy, and you know this. Um, you're not going to win a ton of games just scoring two goals. And they've only scored four goals one time since the actual playoffs began after the round robin. Um, the goal scoring is just not there with this team. Uh, Couturier had a goal in the game, and I thought that line had some good opportunities. But ultimately, it comes down to – did you put the puck in the net or not? And they still haven't put the puck in the net enough. Top end guys competed really hard tonight. I know AV said it's more, it boils down tonight to more than, than competing hard. But listen, I appreciate the effort they put in. Uh, the results are not there. And that will be, you know, if, if that's what dooms this team, then they'll have to make adjustments in, uh, in an off season. But in terms of the effort, it was there tonight. They worked hard. They tried. Uh, Giroud does look like he's for whatever reason, wearing the weight uh, of the world on his shoulders. And I don't think he should be. I, I, I don't think that that is a conducive place for him to be mentally or physically. I think he just needs to go out and be a hockey player. Uh, and, and, you know, we're, run, we're running out of games here. But as long as you're alive, you're still alive in a playoff series. But I appreciate the effort those guys put out tonight. And it's hard when you're when the puck's not going in the net for, for offensive players. Um, it can really wear on you, and I think it's clearly wearing, especially on Konechny uh, and Giroux and, and Borchek, I guess, of late in this series. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, let me ask you this, because, you know, you've talked to some people that are in the bubble. You know the restrictions of the bubble. Um, it's such a unique environment that these guys have put themselves in, and, you know, for those that opted to not opt out. Um, what do you think it would be like as a player, kind of knowing what you know, no fans, you know, being restricted in this silk fenced-in area in Toronto at, at Hotel X and, you know, very little contact with anybody, at least physically, outside of the bubble. You know, what, what do you think that would be like for you as a player if you had to go through that? I think that's an individual, an individual thing for who you are as a person. Now, for mm-hmm. me, I would have loved it. I would have been yeah. fine. Like, you know, I would have missed my family and, and my kids and all that. But in terms of the actual, like, just being around guys – I would have been fine with that. That's I love being around my teammates. I love being with them. Uh, I enjoyed having fun. So, but but I, I I do really think Jason. I've thought about this, you know, and I've talked to Craig Berube, the chief there, about it. And he said the league did a great job setting it up. But he, hey, there's a lot of downtime, and yeah. uh, 
probably a lot of time to get into your own head a little bit too much sometimes just as a human being. So, listen, these guys are playing through very, very unique set of circumstances. Um, I think we all know that. And, we, and if we don't, you have to consider it. Uh, you know, again, I always say if there's 31 teams in the league, whatever it is right now, 30 of them go home miserable at the end of the year. Only one of them goes home happy. Even the Stanley Cup, the runner-up, is not happy about what how it ends. So um, that's what it is. And then under these this unique situation, uh, being in this bubble uh, uh, for health reasons, uh, to make sure that they're able to play at the top of their game and um, with no fans, uh, it's a unique unique thing that I uh, I hope they don't ever have to do it again. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and I think it's so important what you said, too. It's an individual thing, you know. There could be moments where you're in the bubble, and it's great, and you're loving it, but then you know how it is. Sometimes you go, dude, I just need to be away from these guys, or I just need to be, you know, kind of bunker down in my own home. There's a comfort in your own home. You're living in a hotel, um, you know, and and it affects everybody different at different times, too. So, um, you know, I I think the one thing that's a little bit lost right now with a lot of the fan base is that, you know, th- this is a very unique circumstance. I think a lot of people are, are making determinations that this team was phony or wasn't real because they haven't dominated in the playoffs like they, they did down the stretch. And then you couple that with the fact that they won these three-round robin games and people, I guess, just thought that they were going to just chug along. But in this unique circumstance, I, gu- I guess the level of team accountability ha- has to be kind of – that has to be considered, I would think. Uh, no question about it. And I, and I think the other thing, you know, when I, when I looked into, uh, you know, when I, I was considering the bubble before it started, I really felt like the coaches um, had to take, you know, steer the ship at the beginning as, as camp re, uh, restarted and, uh, and as they headed to Toronto and getting into the bubble in the hotel, I thought the coaches really had to kind of set the tone. Then I felt the leaders needed to, to take over from there. And then, you know, you had to have young guys playing at the top, at, at top of their game as well. Um, and that, you know, it's happened sporadically. I think guys like Farabee played well. Obey Kubel at times uh, has played well. Uh, but I really feel that if you're going to go all the way in this, you've got to have a really, really good group up at the top that's committed to the two months, uh, that wants to uh, be a difference maker. Uh, I look at Anders Lee, you know, like I thought he made a real good statement to his team, Jason, last series when Washington, like, this guy dropped his gloves with Tom Wilson, ran backs from early in that series, game one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're, when your captain does that, and you're really getting a message sent to you by him that, hey, we're here. Like, we, I like this team. I think we have a chance to do something. And then you got to follow suit. And, um, again, that's a team thing, but really valid point by you. And everybody's going to be different. Every team's going to be different collectively and individually. Uh, and that's why this situation is so very unique. Uh, I don't think the fans uh, should be too, too hard on, on this team. I think that this is a really, really good group of guys um, that weren't able to continue playing the way they were in March. So, again, everybody goes back to the bubble, and, and, and uh, there's 20, is it 24 teams to start, yeah. and only one of them is going to go home with that silver trophy. But for fans to be disappointed about uh, or, or think that this team is phony, uh, yeah, the future's not bright. You know, I'm, I'm going, come on, we've got to get a little perspective here. Maybe now's not the time for that perspective. Right. Coming off a loss, and I get people are emotional, but, you know, you know, our world's full of hot takes, and um, sometimes I, well, yeah, well, I mean, it's a little you're time right. to chill. Right. Yeah. yeah, it no. is. And, I, and, again, you know, there'll be another – and, again, this series is not over. It's 3-1. I've been on a team that lost a 3-1 lead before. I've seen it happen. So, you know, I've, been, I've watched the Flyers come back from 0-3 to Boston back in uh, – 
in, in 10. So, you know, I've seen crazier things happen. Uh, this team has never quit. Uh, they kept it. It was a tight game tonight. It could have gone either way, but got to commend them uh, for the, for who they've become this year. Certainly one, a team uh, that's come a long way from the ones we'd seen prior to that. Yeah, no question. Well, it's going to be a big game coming up on Tuesday to look to extend the season. Bundy, we'll talk to you on Tuesday as well uh, for another episode of Flyers Daily. We hope it's not the last post-game uh, ride-home recap for you, but uh, we'll see how that plays out come Tuesday. Thanks for doing this. Love being on with you, buddy. Thanks. Have a great night, and back at it Tuesday. Special thanks to you, Bundy, for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. I, th- I think it's really important, and that's why I asked the question to Bundy about what the effect is like on players, and, and we can't paint with a broad brush when it comes to the effect of being in the bubble. Every player's circumstance is different. You have guys that, younger guys like Travis Konechny, he's not married. Um, you have guys, you know, in their first playoffs in this bubble in a very unique circumstance with no fans. Yeah, You have veteran players, uh, like whether that be Claude Giroux, whose son just turned a year old uh, last week, or Sean Couturier, who basically left the bubble of training camp for a day and a half to see his daughter born and um, had to leave right away and hasn't been able to spend time with his newborn or or that's James Van Riemsdyk who also has uh, a baby that he had not long before training camp um, and just for a litany everybody's different how they handle the bubble life Bundy said you know when he was a younger player it would have been great he would have been the life of the party and that's who Bundy was um, some players, though, are more shy, reserved, like their own space. We just don't know which players' bubble life affects more than others. And we can't be naive enough to think that it doesn't affect them in that way, being away from their family, being living in a hotel. It's not like you're in a hotel for a, five, a, a long weekend, a four-day weekend. They've been in a hotel now for a long time, and they've been away from their families for 55 days, I believe it is. So you just don't know the effects of that. Um, that said, they're there, and their their job is to win while they're there, and they're not having that success. And it's, and it's okay to be disappointed with the way this series has gone and really kind of how they've played against Montreal, even though they won that series in five, and how they've played here against the New York Islanders. And, and as fans, you know, you want your team to perform. There's teams out there competing for a Stanley Cup. But – I think you need to be cognizant of the fact that this is a very unique circumstance. And we're going to get to Twitter questions in a second. And some of the things that I see on social media, you know, it's social media. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, hot takes or stupidity that goes on in, on social media. No shocker there. But, you know, a lot of people are kind of have a revisionist history of, as to what this season was. And they want to say this team is phony. This team was a fraud. Now, they were a really good team. What we didn't know was how this pandemic being off for four and a half months and, you know, not really getting the chance to finish the regular season and head right into a playoff, how it was going to affect teams, players, or anybody. Who the players were that were going to come out of the out of the pandemic and be what they were in the regular season. We didn't know what the which players would come out of the pandemic and be better than they were in the regular season. Look at Nick Suzuki from Montreal tremendous in the playoffs he wasn't that kind of player this regular season Um, you didn't know which players were going to come back after the pause and not be able to get their game back to where it was this regular season and we didn't know what the chemistry of that would be these are very unique circumstances that we can't just kind of brush under the carpet Um, this team had a huge step forward this year I feel like I'm giving a eulogy right now and 
it's probably not the time to do it, but I just think I want to add the perspective. But this team moved forward. There's some revision, some people saying uh, the coach is no good. Lane Vito is a great coach. He's a Jack Adams finalist for a reason. There is accountability with these playoffs, but there's also perspective and a realization that they are what they are. They're very different, and our world is in a very unique and unprecedented situation right now. We have to consider that as well. All right, let's get to Twitter questions. And we start with Andrew Alton. He says, is it fair to say that the current core of this team has accomplished absolutely nothing? With Hart so young and your youth a couple of years away from making a real impact, should Chuck Fletcher look to make some serious changes? Okay, so this is kind of what I'm talking about. This is a bit of a hot take. Um, okay, they were a team that had 89 points in 69 games. Uh, they were on a plus 100 pace in the regular season point pace. They had seven more points than the year prior, and they played 13 less games. Now, you can look to make changes, but if you want to make serious changes, okay, I need you to explain to me how they're going to do that. When the salary cap is flat at $81.5 million, and teams aren't looking to take on big contracts because they can't, teams are going to be looking to shed contracts, as a matter of fact. So I, I don't know what you're alluding to, but I think you need some perspective and remember what this team was in the regular season. And they did win a round of the playoffs. Was it pretty? No. But they didn't get knocked out in the first round. They're playing a really good Islander team. They're not playing the Washington Generals against the Harlem Globetrotters who are just there to be beaten. The Islanders are a good hockey team. My buddy Isaiah from the Orange and B podcast says, uh, does AV try to build upon tonight's second period, their best of the postseason? I agree with that and come back with the same forwards in D, or does he throw a Hail Mary and insert a player like Morgan Frost? That's very interesting. Um, I don't think he's going to put Frost in, and here's why. First of all, the matchup is not a great one for, for Frost. He's a young guy that lacks size and strength. That's the, been the one thing we hear at training camp. He still needs to put on a little bit more muscle and get a little stronger. He's playing against a team in the Islanders that's very big, very heavy, very strong. doesn't lend to his game. Couple that with the fact that Morgan Frost hasn't played a competitive hockey game since March. And now you're just going to throw him in the game five? I just don't think it would be doing the player any favor. So I don't think that that is an option for Elaine Vigneault. But you never know. I haven't seen Morgan Frost in practice. I haven't seen him since uh, they had training camp here in Philadelphia before leaving for the bubble. Yeah, he looked good, but um, this is a different circumstance, I think. Jeff Kirsch tweets in and says, hey, did you agree with the move to play Moose? He said, I didn't, though I don't think that's why they lost. Separately, some friendly advice. Don't let the Twitter trolls bother you. 99% of Flyer fans are awesome. I agree. And even if the season ends on Tuesday night, what a season it's been. Um, I would have gone to heart. We talked about this on yesterday's episode uh, because of the two days off prior. But the numbers don't lie. Um, When you look at a a goaltender who plays the front and back end of a back-to-back, that there is a drop-off. He went with Brian Elliott. And Brian Elliott was great in the game. Uh, Brian Elliott is not why they lost this hockey game. He he played really well. He kept them in this game and kept it scoreless through a first period where he saw eight, 18 shots. Uh, I thought Brian Elliott was really good. Made a lot of really good saves on really difficult scoring opportunities. He had two glo- he had a glove save on Barzell earlier in the first period, and then he had another one on Barzell on a one timer on that power play where he sealed the post and just barely squeezed his arm enough to keep that puck out. Uh, I would have gone to Hart, but I, that's why I mentioned yesterday on the episode that the decision 
um, to go with Elliott or Hart was a live decision, and it definitely deserved uh, to, to be talked about and broken down and figured out. I, I think Elaine Vigneault made the right call. Ryan Claggett tweets in and says, there, is there a lack of wanting to be physical on this team? The Islanders seem to always be winning physical side of the game, and the boys have no answer for it. I know the enforcer role is not a big factor these days, but the Flyers sure could use it. Well, like I mentioned, the Islanders are a really big and really heavy team, probably the biggest in the NHL. And look, when you're a smaller team, you don't look to initiate contact with the with the bigger guys. Uh, but that said, they I, I thought they were physical in the game last night, uh, but that's that's something that they need to be. They need to be physical. They need to be taking guys out of plays. But they, they are a big physical team, the Islanders for sure. And that can that can wear you down as an opponent. And wanting to go after the big guys is something that's not you know incredibly desirable, but is necessary to win in the playoffs. Dusty Dimes tweets in. He says, "Hey Jason, with the series of three one, would you switch up the top line a little bit to have a different look going into Game Five and to get your guys buzzing?" Um, well, they were good in this game. I, the top two lines I thought generated a lot of scoring opportunities, but they only came away with two goals in the game. One of them was with the goalie pulled, and Ivan Provorov scored it. So absolutely, I've been, you know this, Dusty. I've been sanctioning this on here. I'd love to see Konechny with Couturier and Giroux. Then I will put Voracek on the wing with Kevin Hayes. Tommy P. tweets in. He says, what do we do with Giroux? I doubt he can be traded. You can't take away the captaincy and keep him. He can't make the money he is and play on the third line. How would you deal with Giroux moving forward? He's obviously lost many steps. Okay. He was the Flyers' leading scorer from January he didn't have his same offensive output that he has had in years past, but they also had much more balanced scoring. Has he gotten it going on in these playoffs? No, and he hasn't ended up on the score sheet nearly enough. We all understand that. And the last bunch of trips to the playoffs, he hasn't since 2012. Those situations are a lot different than this one. Those situations where he was the only option and the line he played on, so he was getting the shutdown element of the opposition every time. This is different. He is on a team that had depth this year, but they just haven't gotten it going offensively. So I think you need to consider the the, the part of, is he one of the players, maybe Couturier is another one of those players, and Konechny, that just wasn't able to recapture their game in this unique circumstance. But I know what the narrative is, and that, that a lot of people seem to think he's cooked right now based on these playoffs. But you got to remember, he had a pretty good season, and he's not cooked. All right, last question. Uh, at Nick488 says, why is it that other teams' young players are always better than our young players? We hype up our own talent pool, but it struggles to stack up against the young stars of other teams they always seem to have. Is it drafting issue, development? No, they have, the Flyers have a ton of young players. A lot of these players, they're in their first playoffs. Look, Matthew Barzell is probably who you're referring to when you talk about the other teams. He's a great player. Bavillier, another really good player. The Flyers have really good players as well. Travis Konechny was an all-star. Ivan Provorov is a 26-minute-a-night stud number one defenseman. Did he have a great game tonight? No. Last night? No. They have other good young players. Oscar Lindblom is a good young player who will be back with this team next year. Joel Farabee is a 20-year-old rookie playing and playing pretty well, I think. Frost is coming. They have other guys coming as well, whether that's Zamula or Cam York. But to your point, when you see what Matthew Barzell is right now, and he's an elite talent. He's a great player, and he's going to be a restrict. He's a restricted free agent this offseason. He's going to get paid. I wouldn't be surprised if he got offer sheeted. But no, the Flyers, the drafting is fine. The development is fine. 
The team has just not recaptured what they were during that nine-game win streak. Was that nine-game win streak what they were this season? No. They were playing their best run of hockey the entire year. And then they came back after the nine-game win streak, and they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Washington Capitals, and the Boston Bruins in basically glorified exhibition games that didn't mean anything. And I think some of us, and I think some, got an expectation that they were going to breeze their way through these playoffs. Not in this situation. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll be back tomorrow with another game day edition of Flyers Daily. In the meantime, everybody, thanks for listening. Flyers Daily is presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Supporting our Flyers, Penn Orthopedics creates the ideal care plan with treatment options fueled by our own world-renowned research, doing what once seemed impossible so you can too. Another reason why your life is worth Penn Medicine. Learn more at pennmedicine.org slash ortho and give them a follow on Twitter at Penn Medicine. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on tomorrow's episode.